The message is entitled today, A God of Action. A God of Action. Oh Lord, you didn't come and play with words. You come and you came among us and you laid down very clearly what the gospel would be comprised of. And you confronted the power of darkness and said, it's time to move out from under the law and stand by faith and walk righteous before me by the power of my blood. Lord, I pray you will bring this into our hearts now. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Matthew, the second chapter, begins with action. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophets out of Egypt, I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream in Egypt, and he said, Get up, 
take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up. He took the child and his and his mother, and they went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. What I've just read to you is so full of action. Get up, do this, go there. Full of action. It's not passivity. What would you have thought of Joseph if the angel came and said, Joseph, they're going to try to kill baby Jesus. Take him to Egypt. And if he had rolled over in bed and said, I'm too tired to get up. We'll plan the trip. Maybe next week we could go. No. It's action time. Move. And they moved. Imagine all the arrangements that had to be made. And they didn't go jump in their SUV and drive off down the highway. They had to take the donkey. They had to bring diapers. There was no Walmart to stop at. Move, action. So we come to our culture today. We are almost entirely cerebral. There was an article in the Washington Post a couple of years ago. And they'd done a survey to see how many people pray, and how many people read the scriptures. So they gave the stats on how many people pray and how many people read the scripture. And then the author of this piece wrote, but what we discovered in more careful surveying was that many people said they read the scriptures, but they never read them because they thought that by saying they read them meant they read them. And many people said they prayed, But when we pressed them hard on how much they prayed, in reality, they didn't pray at all. They just said they prayed, so they thought they prayed. Some of you, if I ask you, you would say, yes, I pray. But you pray as you're driving around the parking lot, shooting prayers at heaven, saying, oh, God, I need a parking place quick. And that's the extent of your prayer life. No, everything about The story of Jesus is about action. It's about taking charge and moving. And what the Lord wants to say to us today is that this story of Christmas is not some sentimental Santa Claus deal. It's action. It's stepping forward and actually doing what we are called to do if we call ourselves Christ followers. Now, this is going to be review for many of you. I make no apology for it. I've discovered by talking with many of you that you have heard my words, but you have not acted on the words. And so I'm going to review again a very significant portion of Scripture because I believe the most important thing we can do today is to act to take concrete, specific actions about what we say we believe so that our actions and our words match. The Lord has convicted me many times 
over this pleasing nature that I was born with. One person said, I have a question. Do you lie? Oh, no. You just proved you do. I tell you straight, all of us lie. We are all liars. Little ways, saying things that allow us to remain in our sin, and we call them little white lies. We blow them off. The Lord has dealt with me severely as he has our sister, that if our words and our actions do not match, we are liars. And liars have no place in the kingdom of God. It's one of the things he says in the last part of the book of Revelation, when he lists those very specific sins that anger him the most. And right in that list is lying. So if I say I'm a Christ follower and I sit in front of the television, I'm a demon follower, not a Christ follower. If I fill my heart with the entertainment of this world and I satisfy myself with the things of this world, I'm not a Christ follower. And we have to absolutely come to terms with the reality. Are we a world follower or are we a Christ follower? Now, what happened in this story in Matthew, the second chapter with the Magi, is this was a clash of the titans. This kicked off a bitter blow and counter blow. And it cost the lives of all the children in that area who were two years of age or younger. They were murdered by the powers of darkness as a counter blow to the glory of the angel coming and identifying the Messiah. Now, for the people of that day, everyone knew the Messiah of Israel was due. They knew it was time for the Messiah. Herod was ensconced in his authority, and he was a direct descendant of Esau. So you have Jacob and Esau squaring off once more in Jesus and Herod. This battle continues today. If you're not consciously aware that you are facing the powers of Esau and the powers of darkness, and if you are not engaged in the conflict between righteousness and wickedness, you're in la-la land, you're in dreamland. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Well, it's not. It's a battle. It's action. And if you're out of the action, it's because you're on the side of darkness and you're drifting. Now, I want to be very specific with you, and this is the review part about how to get into the action. The very specific thing, singular thing, that you have to do to get into the action with God. And it is prayer, but it's not generalized prayer. I have sat through so many prayer meetings. I have engaged in so many nights of prayer. I just was invited again to spend New Year's Eve and pray the whole night. I've been to so many of these meetings, and what has come out of them for the most part? Garbage. All we've done is exhausted ourselves. And you say, oh, no, pastor, God hears your prayer. Yes, he does, but he wants action. 
So he wants prayer action. He wants our prayer to be filled with action, not passive, moaning and groaning before him about how bad it is and how would you just give me strength to endure. If I hear one more person say that, I'm going to vomit. I'm not interested in enduring. I'm interested in conquering. I'm interested in victory. I'm not interested in just going along to get along. I don't need another prayer meeting to come in and fall asleep. But it is in the prayer meeting where the very key is that makes everything come alive and where the victory is won, either in a corporate prayer meeting or in an individual prayer closet. There is an action that you can take that will ignite your life. Now, this is review because we've been dealing with it on Tuesday night. We've been dealing with it on Friday night. And I dealt with it in this, in this setting. But we are so passively oriented toward what does not make us money. I mean, that's the one place we'll move into action. Okay, we'll roll out at 5.30 in the morning to go to work because it's money. We want to pay our house mortgage. We want to pay for the children. We want to pay for the car. We, we want to pay for our American lifestyle. So we'll move into action for that. But even in that, many of you will go to work and see how little you can get away with. God looks for action, service. So let's talk about this prayer issue now and try to lay it out in very concrete terms that are clear, step by step. Second Peter, the first chapter, I'll begin with verse 3. Second Peter. The first chapter, I'll begin in verse 3. His divine power, that is, power outside of us. Power, dunamis, the word from which we get dynamite. His his divine dynamite. And, And you see, that's what I want to have set off. One of my favorite things as a kid, Ed would take his rifle and he'd take sticks of dynamite and we'd take those to the shooting range, you knew when you hit the bullseye. It got blown to smithereens. The dynamite, Dad handled dynamite many times as a miner. So he knew how to handle it. He wouldn't let us handle it. But he knew how to set it up. And when that bullet pierced it, kaboom, I want that kind of power in my life and in this church. And it's only going to come by prayer. Okay? My brother was right. There are no marketing means. There are no gimmicks. There is no entertainment. There is no new style that will bring the presence of God. It's already here. We just have to hit the bullseye. And the explosive dynamite power of God will be released in our lives and in our church and in this nation. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So we don't have to go searching for it. It's been given to us already, and it will be found in the prayer closet. 
through our knowledge of him who called us. Today, what I'm doing is trying to impart to you the knowledge of how to set your rifle up on the dynamite so that it will go off for you. By his own glory and goodness, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. What is a promise? Very simple. A promise is a commitment to do something, right? If I say to you, I will do this for you, that's a promise. Now, with God, there are certain conditions that one must meet for the promise to be effective. We'll talk more about that later. He has given us his great and precious promises. He is, in other words, saying, look, I'm ready to release my power in you. But before I can release my power in you, you are going to have to understand what my promises are. Because it's only through my promises that I will reveal my power. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, so first and foremost, we know that God wants to destroy the work of the devil in our lives. We're all clear on that, right? And the work of the devil in our lives is anger, bitterness, harshness toward one another, lust, lying, stealing, cheating, slandering, gossiping, even such things as gluttony. He wants to erase these things from our lives. And he wants to bring us into unity with himself so that he can release his power in our lives for the work of the kingdom of God. To escape the corruption, the word corruption literally is talking about when you, maybe you never have to do this, but I have to do this once in a while. Get in the refrigerator and empty some things down the garbage disposal, sometimes not even through the garbage disposal, just put it straight in the trash because there's green growing all over it. I don't want to even smell the rot. That's what this word corruption means, full of poison and darkness, that if you eat it, you die. He wants us to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the refrigerator, hmm? in the video games, in the television, in the worldly pleasures and pursuits. They're corrupt. They're filled with darkness. I don't need to tell you. You know exactly. The Holy Spirit's already said to you what he wants you to cut off. question is, have you cut it off? Are you walking clean? How do we do it? Through his precious promises. Okay, the next part is going to require some work on our part, some doing. And that is beginning to search the scriptures for the promises of God. God is a covenant-keeping God. He only moves in our behalf by a promise made in scripture. The prayer closet is where we stand on that promise until it is ignited in our soul. And I tell you, I've taken promises to the prayer closet. And Jesus said, could you not even 
wait and pray an hour? Well, there was a reason for that, because for most of us, it will take the first hour in the prayer closet just to clean the garbage out of the refrigerator. But it's after that that we begin to hit pay dirt. It's after that that we begin to hit the dynamite. Because this promise that is given to us in Scripture begins to be set aflame in our hearts. And then we know that God is in this promise. And he begins to move it in our being so that we can begin then to wait upon him and pray that promise until finally the victory comes. And believe me, when the victory comes, you start to shout and dance because the promise is yours. It's done. It's finished. The work is done. And now you stand and say, yes, Jesus, it's done. You promised me in the prayer closet, and I'm just going to stand by faith. It is done. I don't see it. I don't smell it. I have no sense in the physical that it's done, but it is done. And I come to you today. I've been standing in Mark 11, 12 and 13. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm involved in the message and not... Uh, Mark 11, 22 to 25. I've been standing on that promise. And I've been saying, Lord, you know that I need a wife. And you know that the National Prayer Chapel needs me to have a wife. Because I can't minister to the women the way a wife can minister to the women. We need to have some women's prayer groups. We need to have some ministry time with women. I can't do it. So I need it, your church needs it, so I'm praying this promise and I'm standing that as I pray, well, guess what? He's told me, you're engaged. So now I'm waiting. I don't know her, I don't see her, but you will see Pastor Ray's invitation very soon to a wedding. Now, some of you who need wives are scared to death of having a wife. Well, believe me, there is some fear in my heart also. Wives are the most wonderful creatures in all of the world, and God seems to use them to bring such a sense of reality to a man's mind and heart and life that sometimes he feels like he just ought to die. But it was God who did it. I stood by, by faith in this prayer. It has been ignited by the Holy Spirit, and it's done. And now I am resting in him. But every day I read him this passage of scripture and say, Jesus, I'm waiting on you. I'm resting. It's done. I know it's done. Come quickly. Okay. There are a lot of other promises. Promises I'm praying about this church. That I'm praying for some of you specifically. That I stand on. Now you wouldn't like some of the prayers I'm praying. Because some of the prayers are... Lord, you know the work you have to do. Would you arrange the circumstances to bring about whatever has to be brought about to change the heart of this person? Except I'm usually much more specific. Because you see, when you begin to pray the promises of God, you have an agenda that you are bringing to him. You have a need. And if you're so full of yourself that you don't have a need, you won't pray. Most people do not pray because they do not need to pray. And it is the practice of yoga. Most prayer in America is just yoga. It's a 
It's a process that can be therapeutic. You can beat on the pillow with the stick, and then it's all done. Your, your prayer's done. There's no power in it. There's no effectiveness in it. There's no action in it. But when you go like Daniel in before God and begin to say, God, the 70 years are up, and I see that it's time for your people to come out of Babylon. Now, we don't deserve this, Lord. We have sinned against you. We have been in gross error. And in your mercy, you've forgiven us. Would you now bring about your promise of deliverance? Because you said to Jeremiah, and he began to stand on the Jeremiah scripture, 70 years declared for your people. And then you said, you did not have plans to hurt, but to prosper. Lord, it's time to prosper your people. And he began to stand on that promise in Scripture. As we stand on the promises of Scripture, God will come and he'll stand on your head and mine. Example, this passage I shared with you just now in Mark 11, 23, 24. The last part of that says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. Oh, wait a minute. The condition God laid down for answering Mark 11 is that you hold no grudge against anyone and you forgive everyone. You let all anger be uh, dampened and destroyed in your heart and in your life. Well, that's not a real easy one to manage because most of us have lived most of our lives pretty angry with God and with others. So in order for you to meet the condition of this promise in Mark 11, you're going to have to forgive those who have wronged you. And the Lord pressed me even further. He said, now, you also have to go to those you've wronged and repent and make restitution. I love what our sister did when she called this person that I shouldn't have done that. I lied. What was she doing? She was setting it up so that now God can forgive her. Very painful. Not popular with the one you make restitution to. They might get really angry. told you the story. I won't name the name. But after the man was converted, he had shoplifted steaks to survive. So he went to the grocery store and talked to the manager. And of course, as soon as he had to talk to the manager... Lots of people suddenly were everywhere around, and the manager and people behind the counter, and he began to talk to the manager, and the manager began to back away from him. Like, what are you talking about? Don't embarrass me. Laid the money on the counter and finally walked away and left the $100 bill on the counter. He had to make restitution because he wanted God to answer his prayer. So we don't pray very much because prayer is all about action. First of all, admitting that we have no power. Secondly, it's admitting that we're going to die if God doesn't come and rescue us. And third, we're saying we want our whole life transformed and changed. And most of us are pretty comfortable with our little hellhole that we've created for ourselves. And that's going to all change when we begin to pray. God will begin to open things for us we never imagined possible. He'll begin to build relationships we never dreamed of. He'll begin to make connections 
for the furtherance of his kingdom and his gospel. Now, one of the most profound promises in all of Scripture is found in the book of Galatians. And I'll begin with with verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Let's put that in modern language. All of you who think by observing certain rules, by following certain beliefs, you think that's going to take you through, you're under a curse. All of you who think you can just live your life and be in charge of what you do and say, you're under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is made righteous before God by the law because the innocent will live by faith out of Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk, the word faith in the Hebrew means fidelity to, total commitment. The Greek faith is a little different. It's being totally persuaded. But I don't feel quite as comfortable with that definition because I am fully persuaded that my car is sitting out there somewhere. But being fully persuaded that that car is sitting out there is not going to make the car run. It has no power. It's not enough to be just fully persuaded. There has to be absolute fidelity to, commitment to. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You have been, past tense, provided with the opportunity to have every curse broken from your heart. Every power of Satan is the curse. That can be totally broken from your heart and from your life. All bitterness, all fighting, every evil thing can be broken from our heart. That's the promise. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abram might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. What is a blessing that is given I'll read it for you. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. This is your blessing in Christ Jesus. I will make you into a great nation. God wants to make you into something. He has a plan for your life. He wants you to be a part of what is called church. The called out ones. The ecclesia. He wants you to be a part of the body because he is going to make something awesome out of that body. If you remember Daniel, the second chapter, when the vision was given of the great statue of a man, a stone was cut out without hands. It hit that thing on its feet. It crumbled. It ground it to powder. Wind blew it away. And that stone grew into a great mountain. That's the church. God has promised that he is going to use the divine dynamite power to destroy the wickedness of this world. And he is going to do that through the church. We think of church as a place where we go. Not true. The church is a people 
who've learned how to humble themselves with each other, who've learned how to stand on the word of God and love each other, and who take bold action. What do you think we're doing on the radio five days a week? We are putting a sword of the spirit into the side of the devil. Don't be surprised if there's kickback that comes into your life because of that. We need to understand we don't live as individuals anymore. We live as the called out ones, the ones who form the body of Christ, and he is the head of this body. Listen, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Did you know God is saying, look, I'm going to bless the people who bless you. I watched a man and his wife invite Jan and I to live with him for five years, would not charge us a penny, simply blessed us, a pagan man. And then he comes to me and says, Ray, we want to start our own health club. We don't have the money. Well, Tim, how much do you need? One million dollars. Tim, because of what you've done for us, I'm going to pray and ask Jesus to give you $1 million. And he laughs at me. I said, no, Tim, $1 million. The phone rang. The businessman on the phone, he said, I hear you're trying to raise money to build your own club. I'll commit $50,000. Tim came back to me and laughed at me, and he said, Ray, look, $50,000, this is nothing. I need a million dollars. He said, Tim, one man will give you $1 million. He said, I don't believe it, Ray. I said, look what you've done for me and for Jan. Because of that, God will give you that $1 million. Phone rang. Same man. I've changed my mind, Tim. I'm not going to do $50,000. I want to do the whole deal. Let's get our attorneys together. I'm going to write a check for $1 million to you. And it was done. It was done. Now, the part of the story you haven't heard is that after repeatedly witnessing to him about Jesus, he throws a big party. And at the party, he has fortune tellers come. And I say to him, Tim, you can lose that million dollars just as quick as you got it. Don't defy God by your fortune tellers. He laughed at me and he did it anyway. The years went on. He kept refusing the gospel message called me a month ago. Did Ray, we're, we're selling the house. You're selling the house? Yeah. We sold the club, Ray. I said, did you come out of it pretty well? No. We pretty much lost everything. But I have a job. They hired me as the manager at half the salary. And we can't afford to live in our house. Now I am going to be going over the holiday season, to see them. And now I'm going to ask him, do you know why you lost your house? Do you know why you lost your club? This was a a club that covered a city block, 10,000 members. He lost it because he defied the Lord. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Are you ready to have the earth blessed through you? That's going to take some prayer time. That's going to take 
some promises where you humble your heart before God. We don't have a shortage of the power of God. We have a shortage of men and women who are willing to pray the promises of God and pay the necessary price as God comes and stands on your head and says, cut that off, do this, go here. Let me continue. I want to move now quickly to verse 23. This is Galatians 3, 23. Before this faith came, before this fidelity to God came into our hearts, before this absolute commitment to serve Jesus came into our hearts, we were held prisoners by the law, by our own works, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Jesus. So when we recognize that everything we've done has only brought despair to our hearts and destruction to our lives, and we're finally willing to allow that to drive us to Jesus, we can be made righteous by faith that is transformed. Now that faith has come. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. We are no longer under the supervision of what you think is best. You get that? We no longer determine what is best. Jesus determines that, and we find out by spending time in the prayer closet, standing on the promises of God. I can imagine one of you going into the prayer closet and saying, Lord, pastor said we're supposed to stand on the promises, but I don't have any. But would you, would you give me a promise? Would you tell me what promise you want me to stand on? Oh, now you're, you're started down a road. You better buckle up and put a crash helmet on. You're in for total life change. And you stay there and wait on him until he gives you the promise. And you look in the scriptures. And the scripture God wants for you is going to jump out and start dancing in front of your eyes. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's women too. All, all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. I want to go back for all of you who were baptized into Jesus. Now, what I didn't cover because of shortness of time, let me just say it very quickly. In this chapter, he speaks about the seed of, of Abraham. And Paul says that word seed is singular. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. The promise I read for you, that's the promise made to Jesus because he's the seed. But here Paul's telling us that we enter into Jesus and we clothe ourselves with Jesus. So there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus. You are not one outside of Jesus. That's humanism. We are only one in Jesus, literally in Jesus, swallowed up by Jesus. Great place to start. Go to the 15th chapter of the book of John abiding in Christ, and begin to say to Jesus, I'm standing by faith that you will allow me 
to abide in Jesus. And some of us, as we've taken this journey, began to understand what that meant. Okay, if you want to abide in me, take this time for reading Scripture. And I want it at the same time every day. You want to abide in me? Stop eating this. Stop doing that. And he begins to speak to us very specifically about what he wants us to let go of and what he wants us to take a hold of. This is the work of the Spirit, not flesh. So you take the promise of you are all one in Christ Jesus. Lord, I don't feel like I'm one with anybody or anything. I'm alone. I stand alone. But it says we're one. I'm standing by faith. We're one. Can you imagine a group at a prayer meeting who begin to pray that corporately? Now, Lord, show us whatever we need to see that keeps us from being one. And suddenly a man will say, well, my job keeps me from being one. Or my love of money keeps me from being one. Or my family, my relatives keep me from being one. Because I'm still divided between Jesus and my family. And suddenly we will begin to be uncovered. And confessions will begin to flow. And repentance will begin to flow. And the work of God then becomes dynamite as our pride is destroyed and our trust is formed in Jesus. We're so far from this as a national prayer chapel. But I can tell you this is where Jesus is taking us. This is where he's taking us. Open confession of sin, repentance, getting right with each other and with the Lord and standing on the promises, we have to do some of this work before we stand on the promise that God will open FM radio. But I tell you, God will never open FM radio until we stand on the promise for FM radio. Has that been ignited in your heart? If it hasn't been, you haven't been praying, because it's Jesus' heart. I hope today you understand the gift of God's grace that he's granted to us to call us together and say, look, my power is available for you. It's as though he were saying, I put a million dollars in the bank. All you have to do is go and withdraw it and do with it what I tell you. It's there. But we have to come into the prayer closet and begin to pray. So your assignment today, find your promise. And then stay on that promise. Don't waver. Pray that promise over and over and over until it becomes alive in your spirit and you know it belongs to you and you know that Jesus is now in the process of changing you so he can answer that promise. Let's pray. I love you, Jesus. And all I can do is come with weeping for your throne and say, Lord, I have been so hard-hearted in just trying to survive life instead of walking in the fullness of your power. Lord, today I just confess, I need your dynamite power in my life. I need you, Jesus. And I pray that you will give the gift of prayer to men and women in this church that will go beyond just praying for themselves the kind of prayer that transforms a city, a nation, 
I pray that out of the prayer chapel will come men and women who will lay their lives down for this nation in the prayer closet. Lord, we're not there yet. We're just in kindergarten. Lord, come, teach us to pray. In the name of Jesus.